Hey, this is JJ Redick. You may know me as a basketball player. You may have seen me play during my college career at Duke University, or perhaps over the past decade playing in the NBA for the Magic, the Bucks, the Clippers, or the Sixers. Well, today I'm here to tell you about my new show, the JJ Redick Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. This is where you can find me interviewing athletes like my current teammate, Joel Embiid, as well as in-depth conversations with celebrities like the Late Late Show host, James Corden. The very first episode goes live later this week, so make sure to subscribe to the JJ Reddick Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Tate Frazier, and I'm sitting across from Mr. Mike Lombardi. It is Monday morning. Uh, I am used to being here for the School of Lombardi on Sunday nights. I didn't get that last night. We missed each other. Yes. But we're here on Monday. We're putting the show up. How are you doing, Lombardi? I'm good, Tate Frazier. I'm doing good. I, I, I missed you yesterday. I miss watching football with you, but hopefully we'll get back to our normal schedule. We had to give our, our blessings to Sal and Bill so they could have the studio. So, mm-hmm. But we're back, and everything's good, and we got great breaking news. It probably worked out for the better, right? Yeah. it's. Uh, I'm it's sad, a, though. It's a McAdoo. Um, I'm sad. Ben McAdoo, the end of the Ben McAdoo era in New York after two seasons. First season, he goes to the playoffs. Second season, not even close to the playoffs. And now he is out uh, after benching Eli Manning this week. Jerry Reese, the general manager, is reportedly also out for the Giants. It's a new regime in New York. Yeah, they're going to start all over again. They have to. They have no choice. I mean, look, the Giants are a proud franchise. And and the, to the depths that my man Ben brought them to, and I think Jerry's paid a price. I mean, they all wanted to get rid of Tom because they wanted to have influence within the building. And they picked this guy who... You know, look, I've been very critical of McAdoo uh, since I've interviewed him. I spent time with him. I was in a room with him for three hours. And if I, I thought when I left that room, if anybody thought he was a head coach, I would have been completely shocked by it. And then he became an offensive coordinator, and then he became the head coach of the New York Football Giants, which to me was one of the most – nothing in the NFL really shocks me anymore about guys becoming who become head coach coaches. But what really shocked me was McAdoo being able to have this rise so quickly to get there. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, and then his personality became such abrasiveness. Like he became this guy that didn't want to, you know, wouldn't let ex-players in the building. I mean, it's just like nothing was smooth there. I mean, they couldn't wait to get him out of the building, you know. But like I said, I, I, I saw this one coming a long time ago. Absolutely. And then obviously... We remember when he got hired, I mean, the Eagles make this offer for him. They lose out. The Giants keep him in-house. They move him up from the offensive coordinator position after being there with Coughlin in 14 and 15. Jerry Reese has pretty much been the constant the whole time uh, over these past few years. And Coughlin goes, Eli gets benched, McAdoo finally goes, Reese goes with him. I mean, they're basically starting from ground zero at this point when, when you look at the New York football Giants. I mean, what, what's the first move now uh, if you're the Mara family? Well, look, so, you know, a little little giant history here. So the Giants had always been historically really bad. Wellington Mara owned the team. They never really could get it fixed, right? Mm-hmm. So they were all over the place, hire coaches, yada, yada. So Wellington Mara, finally, the league office, Wellington Mara was fighting with his with his brother, Tim Mara's cousin. I'm not sure if what the okay. So the league office basically stepped in and said, "Look, you two guys don't get along. We are going to. You should hire a general manager to run the New York Giants." Mm-hmm. And so the league office basically hired, forced them to hire George Young. Okay, back in 1979. And Young became the general manager. And so Young became the general manager with control over the coach. 
And then he hired the coach. And then George Young hired Ray Perkins. And then George Young hired Bill Parcells. And then George Young hired Ray Hanley. And then things start. And then he hired Dan Reeves to correct the Ray Hanley. So they've always been a traditional organization where the GM and the personnel people pick the players, the coach coaches the team. And they've been very good at separating church and state, right? Mm-hmm. So they've done that. So the Giants just need to go back to what their plan is. And But now, because they're going to have a harder time alluring a great coach, say they want to hire a Josh McDaniels or somebody like that, they're going to have to find somebody who can get along with Josh, or Josh is going to want a little bit like the Kyle Shanahan and, and John Lynch. So they're going to have to alter their dynamics a little bit, which hasn't changed since 1979. And it's worked. It's won Super Bowls for them. It's been successful. So I think John Mara is going to have to reevaluate and see who he wants to hire and then decide how he's going to build this organ. He has the foundation how he wants to build it. He just needs to rearrange it. He needs to remodel and he needs to get the right person at the GM chair that can pick a good coach and can work with that coach. And that's really going to be a challenge. And the one guy that we do have there is our boy Ferris Bueller. OBJ is there. He is the guy that has been promised one of the biggest contracts in football by Jerry Reese. Which is really going to be the hardest part. This is going to be like what what people, what fans don't understand is, is, is for if you're a coach and you want to come into a situation, the Eli thing was going to have to be something that was handled. But you understood that because Eli was, you knew you needed a quarterback. I know giant fans, you know, some giant fans, some in this building here, think that that Eli can still play. Okay, but most people that understand the game completely know that Eli's not going to be the future of the franchise, and nor is he going to win another Super Bowl for you. You need a quarterback, right? So that that's pretty much, you can handle that. The Odell Beckham contract is going to be really something that now is going to put the organization, you've already said he's going to be on the highest paid player, maybe mm-hmm. the highest paid player. So and that, he expects that at that point. And he point. expects it, yes. right? So you've got this guy who you've spoiled and you've kissed his ass for so long, <laughs> right? that now you're going to have to try some new coach is going to have to try to hone him in. So say you want to hire somebody from the, say you want the Patriot program in the the giant building. You have to deal with this problem first because there's no way, first of all, the Patriots don't have a player that has this kind of pay and all that. So you're going to have to change your model a little bit. It's going to be fascinating to see. Everybody's going to say, oh yeah, I want to coach Odell. If Odell's involved with the search or if he's asked a question about who should be the coach, then there's real problems with the New York. That's what I want to see. Is it going to be a decision from the top and have to worry about personnel? Because we've obviously seen Eli, even a guy who's won two Super Bowls. It wasn't about him personally. It was about the organization, or at least that's what it was put out to be. And OBJ has been promised like he will be a part of that situation. So it'll be interesting if if he's not vocal and talking about the Giants situation. I mean, it could be something where well, he's not there. Right. Well, so the three people that got McAdoo. So the two people that got McAdoo as head coaching job were Odell and Pate and Eli, right? And so now McAdoo, McAdoo's gone, right? Mm-hmm. So he's gone. And Reese wanted McAdoo because Reese felt like he was tired of being bossed around by Coughlin or having this big kind of image in Coughlin. And, and so now it's going to be fascinating to see if they go to Elda. If they do that, I think it's, it's a huge mistake. I think now's the time that John Mara can reflect. He got this guy out of the building, right? So it's this, this whole – because, look, they had to fire him. If They could not send him to another press conference. Like, <laughs> there's no way they could send him to another press conference and listen to what he was going to say. Like, there's just no way. He said yesterday, if I, was on, if, if I was on the outside looking in, I'd feel the same way they feel in reference to the fans. You can't say stuff like that. He's so bad. Like, (laughs) my question is, like, I said this, like, I'm not bragging, but like, I spent three hours with this guy. There's no way this guy was a head NFL coach. No way. Okay. And so when I started about talking about him a year ago, about, look, I've said this from the beginning. When I grew up, the NFC East was the NFC East, right? Mm -hmm. It was Landry. It was 
Parcells. It was Gibbs. It was like, these are Hall of Fame coaches. Now we've got the Clapper. We got <laughs> Macadon. We got Doug. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know he's won 10 games, so that makes him great, right? Nobody figures out why you win the 10, but just he's got 10, right? And then you got, you know, and then you got Jay Gruden, who's an unmade bet, right? Okay, so like that ain't the NFC East anymore. And mm-hmm. the level of co- co- coaching is way down. And the Giants fell right into that trap. I mean, you're the New York football Giants. They didn't even want to interview Josh McDaniels the last time. Do you realize that? They didn't want to even interview him. They went right to McAdone. Like, that's how narrow-minded their search was. Like, I'm not saying— They basically just hired within. They just basically promoted him. They, right, yeah. they promoted him because they felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. Whenever you feel comfortable in anything, you better change. Yeah, you better figure it out. Uh, let's talk about a team that didn't feel comfortable last night in Seattle, and that was the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, it's funny. When you when you react to, to the e- Eagles and Twitter, it's like they never lose. Like, mm-hmm. it's always the refs screwed them up. It was unlucky fumble by Carson Wentz. How about the, the forward lateral? The forward lateral that wasn't challenged. Egregious. Egregious. It's just, uh, you know, like at some point, look, at some point, I don't understand, and I know why fans are fans, because it's called fanatic, right? Mm-hmm. But at some point, you have to be a little bit objective. Like, it's not always going to be, this isn't worldwide wrestling. It's not going to just go the way you want it to go, right? And and like last night, I thought was a perfect example of a really good defensive coach who understood what the Eagles were trying to accomplish. He made them try to play a little bit left-handed. The Eagles really didn't execute. People say, well, you know, uh, you know, he had a guy wide open. He missed him. The reason he missed him because he was rushed. Like, mm-hmm. there's reasons for everything that happened. It isn't just unfortunate, right? Like, don't put it in the unfortunate category is my point. And I think last night, Russell Wilson was really good. He was the Russell Wilson that we always expected him to be. He's making all these magical plays that we just don't see that much, right. you know, from anyone else. Uh, I but talk- I thought they blocked pretty good. I thought, you know, Seattle gets a bunch of crap for their offensive line. And I'm sitting there watching the game. You know, Dwayne Brown's a first-round pick. Luke mm-hmm. Jockel, not that he's any good. He's a he's a second-round pick. Mitch, uh, their center's a, a high-round pick. I mean, the, the right guard uh, is a third-round pick. Uh, the right tackle's at least a second-round pick. So, I mean, they've got all these, like, high picks in their first. They should be able to block somebody, right? Well, they got rid of Max Unger. I watched him a lot yesterday with the Saints, and I was like... Max Unger's good. Yeah, I was like, the Seahawks missed this guy. I can't believe they traded him for Jimmy Graham. And then last night, the offensive line played well, and you know, I walked all that back. But I want to talk about the defensive line for the the Seahawks. I mean, they pressured Carson Wentz. We talked about that was the difference with their team. If the back end isn't there with the Legion of Boom, those guys up front, Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett had a great game last night. He was talking to Carson Wentz quite a bit. Um, They look like the Seahawks of old up front a little bit. They did. They played. I mean, that's who they are. And I'm not sure how good the Eagles' offensive line is. I know Mm -hmm. that they, you know, you know, you lose a, a starting left tackle. It's hard to overcome. And I think they worked them on that side. And look, once the Eagles could get weren't in a rhythm in the running game and they couldn't do all those RPO ROPs, you know, run run pass options, RPOs. So, you know, they couldn't do that. Then it became really problematic for them. But look, they gained a bunch of yards. They were good on third down. The, to me, the classic example of the Eagles was third and 12. Mm-hmm. Wentz is almost sacked. He's falling to the ground. He makes this incredible throw. I mean, I don't know if you can – like, this is on par with Aaron Rodgers' throw in the playoff game against the Packers. Like, how does he even know the guy's open? And then he comes back. They almost – on third and 13, they almost have him sacked again, and he makes the touchdown pass. I mean, to me, that right there, that drive right there is who the Eagles are offensively. That's what they do. They make these incredible plays on third and long, and Wentz is remarkable at doing it. He really is. And he still looks like an MVP to me. I know that after last night, a lot of people were trying to take that away from him. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they've got 10 wins. They're a good team. Their defense is really good. And they make plays on offense. I mean, that's kind of what they do. They make 
they make certain plays. They wouldn't be the third most third and six team in the league, mm-hmm. right? If they were consistently making, like if they were like a Canadian, like the Patriots are like 23rd and third and sixes. Like they don't get in, they don't get into a lot of them because they usually are moving the ball before that. So look, I, I think the, I think the guy's the MVP of the league because I think if you took him away from that team and that offense and then office, the offensive line, I mean, how many sacks do you think the Eagles would have if Wentz couldn't just – Roethlisberger people out of the way. Yeah, yeah, just like say you're not tackling. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, they're going south this week. They're going to take on the Rams uh, at the Rams. We're going to see uh, what they're really about on this West Coast trip. Right. I, I think this is really going to be an interesting point here because Seattle played the Rams and they played them really well. Seattle, mm-hmm. I mean, don't underestimate, you know, two December football is about pad level. It's about fundamentals. It's also about coaches, right? Mm-hmm. So really good coaches make you adjust. Really good coaches figure out how to make you play left-handed on defense. Really good coaches attack your weaknesses. This is what it's about. And and when you get good games, I mean, the games against teams that are out of it, you know, they'll give it an effort for the first three quarter, first quarter or so. Mm-hmm. But once they know they're not, they're, they have no playoff. Ch- I mean, you can't evaluate anybody in those situations. These kind of games will be fascinating, and I think the Eagles coming down here with the week off, they'll bond the team, and I, I think this Ram team is really good. They play together. And it'll be. I think that'll be a really that'll be another playoff game. Yeah. Before we move on, speaking of a coach, speaking of coaching, I, I have to ask. I mean, we had this forward lateral play. It's Russell Wilson's coming down. He's on the forty-seven yard line. He makes the pitch. It gets caught at around the forty-eight yard line. When you look at the replay, replay review, right. Al Michaels, Chris Collins, what they're both saying. Al's well, an, I, I, Al's I, I an expert should, on boost yeah. reviews. I mean, they should put Al up. And I mean, like <laughs> you know, it's really Fox has Fox has. I don't know why NBC doesn't just have an official. Like everybody wants an official now. Mm-hmm. I mean, now that we've seen Blandino and we've seen Pereira, that's really valuable. We need somebody there, you know. And it's not Chris Collinsworth because Chris is like I, he's all <laughs> over the place, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, they need somebody. I mean, I, I think that would be real. I mean, they have. All these people on the maybe pre-game. they'll get a PFF uh, PFF official up there. That's probably what they'll do. I mean, they have out. all these people on. I mean, they yeah. got Florio at halftime. I mean, they got. All, I mean, nobody's telling me anything. Put somebody in there that could tell me something. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I mean, I think I think that problem there was. I don't understand why Peterson challenged the spot on fourth and inches. Like he was going to sneak it. Like to me, that's the false duality right there. Is was it a right spot or not? When he should have been thinking, look, I'm going for it on fourth and one anyway. It doesn't really matter if it's a half an inch. I'm sneaking. I'm I'm perfect on sneaking. I'm going to go for it. Right. Sometimes when you do that too, you also help the defense because they know what they have to do. Right. It's like you almost set the stage more. But but he lost that challenge. So mm-hmm. now he's gunshot to make another challenge. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why he didn't challenge the lateral. I mean, that's why he didn't really ch- – because I think the first challenge kept him like, I, I I lost it. I don't think I can win this one. And really, who could have – and then what made it unbelievable is the, is the C- Seattle ran a trick play the next play, yeah. which was like, you know, instantaneous. I, I thought Seattle was really well coached last night. I really thought – I know they have a lot – they have penalties. That's kind of who Seattle has always been. But I thought they were really well coached. I think Wilson made that pitch. You know, when he's always running downfield, he does the pump fake, and somehow yeah. people, you know, defenders buy it, and they jump up in the air, even though he's like 10 yards down the field. I think by major making that pitch he keeps them honest because yeah. now they're like he might make a pitch I don't know it, it was crazy I mean his instincts to play the position are just truly remarkable yeah it's natural they, it's, it's really yeah I mean there's some of those things that he can't even tell you why he did them yeah just like Wentz I mean I don't think Wentz can tell you why he did some of the things he did look I, I think that was a great game it was a perfect game for the Eagles they needed a, they needed a game that's going to show them what it's like against playoff coaching and playoff atmosphere and let's speaking of playoff games and atmospheres 
We had the Minnesota Vikings going down to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, it was a big game. We're going to see if Case Keenum can go and take his you know show on the road and keep this thing rolling. His four and Vikings were four and one on the road going into this game. They get another win, fourteen and nine. It was a really defensive game, right? Um, really in the middle of the field between the twenties. Case Keenum has a great game, throws two touchdowns, and they get the win, fourteen and nine. And perfect example to me. I mean, look, Mike Zimmer has has played the Rams, he's played the Falcons, mm-hmm. and he's basically shut he's shut them both down, right? I mean, he's a really good defensive coach, and and I know these teams that are going to be looking for head coaches now. When you can get a really good defense coach to be your head coach, your team has a certain degree of toughness and they can win on the road. I'm not saying offensive coaches aren't tough, but typically you get a really tough coach. I think you know this is a remarkable job by him. He made them play left-handed. Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator for Atlanta, really didn't have an answer. Mm-hmm. Like really, this was a battle of two chess players here. And Clearly, Zimmer was the better chess player. He could maneuver his pieces ahead of what Sarkeesian wanted to do. He was always a step behind. And then I think Pat Shermer has probably done as good a job as anybody. I talk about it on the podcast all the time. I mean, you know, he's got five incompletions, Case Keenum. I mean, everybody keeps waiting for Case Keenum to break down. But Case Keenum's a good player. Mm-hmm. I mean, Case Keenum's playing better than Bradford played when Bradford was playing. I'm, like, I don't understand why it's so hard for people to accept that. It's very strange. I think people just have already believed and bought into the fact that Case Keenum is not a starting quarterback, so that's where they stand on it. I saw a lot of people comparing him to Jeff Garcia yesterday, um, which I don't know how great of a comparison it is, but I guess people need to have like some sort of yeah, they gotta just justify a late-in-life quarterback can do something like yeah, they this. Yeah, they got to justify it. I, I think, you know, look, it's not a real complicated thing. Minnesota's really good on defense, okay? Yeah. Their defensive front can wear you down, mm-hmm. right? They can wear, they put pressure on you. They make you play. This isn't like, this isn't like Philadelphia. Okay, we're just unfortunate. We just <laughs> no, when you get rushed a little bit, you're going to miss some throws. I mean, this is a, football is a game of, you know, it's like like in basketball. If you're just if you take a shot and you're wide open, okay, you're going to hit it right. But if you're rush your shot and you feel somebody coming, you might miss it. Same thing in football. And I think that's what Minnesota does a really good job of game planning and taking away what you do. They made the Rams play left handed. They made Atlanta play left handed. They did it on the road. They're tough. I mean, Murray can run the football effectively. They only threw five incompletions in the game. They're good in the kicking game. They're good on offense. They're good on defense. I mean, they're a really good football team. Now, it's going to take a good coach and a good scheme to beat them. And if they play at home, it's really going to favor them. Absolutely. Uh, I will say this. Devontae Freeman, the guy, he just can't get the carries. For whatever reason, Sarkeesian doesn't want to give him the carries. I think they just don't really know. I think this is part of being a young – I mean, first of all, remember, Sarkeesian's never called plays in the NFL mm-hmm. before. I mean, this is his first time. I mean, he's really never understood like – like there's – this is it. This is what happens in the league. There's guys that run beaters. They're called beater coaches, okay? So if you run this scheme, then I'm going to run these plays that beat that coverage, right? Mm-hmm. It's called beaters, right? Well – the good coaches like Zimmer and like Carroll, what they do is they know you're going to run the beaters against them. So they bait you into it. They bait you into it, but they also have adjustments within their coverages, so they take away what your beater plays are. So if you go to Seattle, let's say, and everybody thinks Seattle plays man-to-man, they don't. Mm-hmm. They play a lot of cover three, they, but they play cover three in a way where it is becomes a man. And if you can't figure out how to end up with another man on one side of the formation or not, Okay, to replace it, then Pete's going to eat up all those beaters you want to run against him because he's seen every combination that you can throw against him, right? So he's got it all down. It's like stock footage at that point. Yeah. Exactly. So he runs. So you have to run a play 
that they think you're trying to run a beater, but you're attacking the adjustments within the coverage. That's what that's what Sarkeesian hasn't been able to do in the run game. He can't attack the adjustments to what Zimmer wants to do. So when Zimmer spikes or when Zimmer does, like if you watch the Ram game, every time the Rams love to run bootlegs, right? They mm-hmm. love to run those bootlegs. But against the Minnesota, Zimmer had a player, a hang player, always playing for the boot, right? Because he was not, he knew this is what's going to happen. So it's just though it's just really smart chess playing. And so what you see now is the level of chess. And I think that Zimmer really taught Sarkeesian something last yesterday. I think that's really was the difference in the game. Yep. Mike Zimmer spying the bootleg. What a magician. He's really good. Next up we have the Gronkowski play, which is uh, you know, cause a lot of backlash from this. Gronkowski comes back, dives at a defender late in the play after he thought he was uh, held on the play. Yeah. Um you know, obviously this has caused a quite a stir around the league. You know, people were upset that they were saying he was a kid that made a bad mistake. He's 28 years old, obviously. Um, but what do you think about this? I mean, Gronk obviously does this blatantly. We, we know it was a, a cheap And the kid shot. got a concussion. And the kid got a concussion. Um, obviously, I, I, I think thank God gotta, it wasn't worse. Yeah, no, I think Gronk's got to go for it. I mean, Gronk did what, what, what an ant, uh, uh, unlike Patriot maneuver. He let his emotions get the best of him. It was because of, I mean, look, they're banging him around. Mm-hmm. He got called for an offensive pass interference early in the game, which was really a BS call. I mean, he really, look, they can't officiate. It was frustration, yeah. Yeah, not justifying what he did. Because mm-hmm. what he did was he violated a code of conduct within the Patriot organization, which is we're not going to really put ourselves in front of the team. He put himself in front of the team and that deserves to be a suspension from the team, but the team can't do that based on the collective bargaining agreement. The league should suspend him because that was a, that was a malicious act that was planned. It wasn't like a reactionary, like somebody hit you and I hit you back. Like he got past interference. He felt like, and then he retaliated on, on a, on a really helpless defender. I think he should get suspended for a week. I think there's no doubt about that. I think it was selfish and it was frustrated, but to blame it on just being frustrated lets him off the hook. Don't let him off the hook. Like, that was bad. And I think what Belichick said was true. It's bullshit. Yeah, he called it BS. And uh, Tredavious White, I think he goes down with concussion. He seems like, I mean, most people were expecting a suspension. We haven't heard anything yet. Uh, It should just be a game, you would think, right? Yeah, he's only had one. He's never had an offense before. So, I mean, it has to be a game. And then they have Pittsburgh. They play Monday night against Miami, and then they go in to play Pittsburgh. So, the you know, Miami game, Miami played – Denver last week. That, yeah, that that really was a bad game. I mean, it was so bad. I enjoyed watching it. Like, I don't want to get off on a sidetrack here, but that was so bad. Jay Cutler was the offense for the Broncos and the Dolphins. Like, I mean, the only look, way the Broncos could score is like all an I can say this to you: if you're a Bronco <laughs> fan, like this is the worst I've ever. Like, you can bitch about the Tim Tebow era in Denver. Mm-hmm. You can bitch about Josh McDaniel era in Denver. You can bitch about all that era. Okay, you're full of crap. This is the bottom. <laughs> of the Denver Broncos franchise as I've ever seen it in my 35-year career in the NFL. Like, I've never seen it. Like, you talk about a guy who's in way over his head. Like, Simeon. Well, Simeon's in over his head, but the guy standing <laughs> on the sideline, Vance Joseph's in over his head, too. Uh-huh. I mean, there's he has no control over the team. The team, the, this is really, the only thing that can happen to save the Broncos, John Elway should just put his coaching hat on and go on the sideline just coach the team, because that's what he wants to do, so he should just do it. But that was a painful game to watch. I mean, Denver's not even good on defense anymore. You think Denver? Denver's had probably one of the worst off seasons in the history of football, right? Start mm-hmm. with letting Kubiak goes, hiring a defensive coach when your offense isn't very good. Lose Wade Phillips. Lose Wade Phillips. I think that firing of Mike McCoy has really helped their franchise out, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, poor yeah. Mike McCoy. Poor Mike McCoy. He takes the beat for it. I mean, you know, <laughs> I think it's all going to be all. one and done, but. You know, I, I mean, it, that was... That, the that, best offensive play that the Broncos made yesterday was Trevor Simeon knocking the ball out of bounds for a safety uh, instead of a touchdown. It, it's like, to me, you got to sit there like, people say, well, you got to give people time, continuity. If you're lost, you can't be making great time. 
Mm-hmm. Like if you're in a, going in the wrong direction, it doesn't matter how fast the time, the, the, how fast you're going, right? Like that's really bad. I, I think you have to look at this objectively and say, look, we don't have, we got to get this fixed. And it's not just the players that are bad. It's it's pretty much everything. And you're going to get to the point where Von Miller, a superstar blue chip guy, is going to come up to the front office and say, hey, either you figure this thing out or I got to get out of here. Yeah, that's right. That's what's going to happen. Yep. Uh, let's talk about another team going in the wrong direction, and that is the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they start the game out hot in New York yesterday. We got uh, Travis Kelsey with two touchdowns. They take a 14 nothing lead. Looks like the Chiefs are back and, back and wow. rolling. And somehow the Jets bounce back. They never quit, and the Jets get a big win. The Giants and the Jets both uh, have beaten the Chiefs this year. Yeah, so they, congrats they, to them. They, Andy Reid returned to play, call, stop play calling. I mean, look, I, I think Josh McCown was sensational in the game. I mean, the the the, the Jets were in more third and eights. They they tried to run the football against them mm-hmm. and really couldn't do it that successfully. And they were in a lot of third and sevens, third and sixes. And then Josh McCown made some unbelievable plays under pressure. He ran the ball with his feet. I mean. They the the Jets offense was explosive and they took it right to the Chiefs. And if the Chiefs make the playoffs, like they really should have their playoff ticket revoked because their defense is horrendous. Mm-hmm. I mean, their defense is horrendous. Marcus Peters, look, Andy has made this decision when he went to Kansas City to collect some of these guys that are, I would say, marginal character guys. Okay. And he's gotten away with it, right? Like, so, you know, we know the Tyreek Hill situation. You know, we know all that. I mean, there's a lot of guys on that team that people don't know about. Mm -hmm. I mean, David Irving was on that team at one time, and they let him go because of some character issues. He's now on Dallas. But they've been the home for wayward children there, let's put it politely. And when you do that, you got to be able to control them and be able to handle it. And what I've seen out of Kansas City since, you know, go back to the Raider incident when they had the big fight in midfield, mm-hmm. right? Marshawn Lynch ran Marshawn on the field, Lynch, yeah. you know, and Marcus Peters was involved in that mm-hmm. one. And talk about a guy should get suspended. I mean, Marcus Peters should get suspended. There's yeah, no, Marcus Peters threw the flag in the crowd yesterday. You yeah. know, and so... First you know, time I've ever seen that. I've, first time I've ever seen it either. I mean, look, I, I just think to me, their defense isn't very good. And then they signed Darrell Revis. Which really it was, was sad. I, lo- really, I love Revis Island. It was you know some of the great great years, two thousand eight, two thousand ten run. It was sad to see him. Well, they had to take the him outside. off the field because yeah. if if he if no, he they could, pulled him once they got him inside the ten, I mean they couldn't have him out there. Well, no, once they got him anywhere on, the, they had yeah. a, a second half he didn't play because <laughs> yeah. there was like there's no way we can play him. Like mm-hmm. at some point tomorrow they they're going to release him. They yeah. they if they put him on the field, they might as well put him in a different color jersey because the team's going after him every week, right? <laughs> Yes. Like it's ridiculous. Like like that. Like that's an act of desperation. Like I've never seen before. So I mean, Revis, the Jet. I, I tweeted out yesterday. The Jets cut Revis once, and basically the way they played against them, they're going to get him cut again, <laughs> because it's the truth. But I thought the Jets played really well. But Kansas City's not a playoff team. You can't be that bad on defense and be a playoff team. Alex Smith did. Everybody wanted to bench Alex Smith, right? Mm-hmm. What did we talk about last week? Everybody wants to bench everybody Alex wants Smith. Mahomes to right? come in. Yeah. Mahomes, was Mahomes going to score more than thirty? I mean, the Jets. The Jets controlled the ball for so long mm-hmm. that that. The the Chiefs couldn't do anything. They they scored. Well, they were one, scrambling every time we got the ball back. They, they got one play up. and score. Yep. One play and score. I mean, yep. heck, the last when they scored it, when they they even gave up the two point play at the end of the game, and then Tyreek Hill comes somehow gets wide open on the two minute drill, and mm-hmm. then they can't put it in the end zone. So, look, I I think that's a great win for the Jets, but you know the Chiefs are really bad. Yeah. I, I don't know who's a good team in the West. I really don't. I mean, like you take the Raiders. Like like the Raiders have played the last two weeks, right? So they played. 
They played Trevor Simeon. They played Paxton Lynch, and then they come back and play. Uh, they play uh, Geno Smith. Smith yeah. Okay, I mean it's like John Pagano's Cosmo Kramer. I mean he just gets lucky, right? <laughs> yeah. And like, and, and it was this, a tough game. The Giants really showed, you know. And so now the Raiders have won two in a row, right? And everybody <laughs> yeah. thinks, oh God, we're back. The Raiders are horrible. The Raiders are flat out horrible. Like they're struggling to beat. They're struggling to beat Geno. Speaking of Geno, what do you think of Geno's comments on, on Rex after the game? What do you call him, a coward? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what Gino's doing. I mean, what's the point, Gino? I guess he wants to control the whole media. I, I like that he wants to be a headline in New York. Like, more power to you, Gino. Keep it up. You've, you've had a long run. Longer than I thought you ever could, but I don't know. Like, what's that even about? I thought the play of the game, really. I mean, it's just so typical of Macadone. I mean, first of all, what people don't understand is the Giants, fundamentally, their protections are so poor. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're blackboard protections. So what that means is they look good on the blackboard, right? But they don't execute on the field, right? So they're unsound. I talked to a coach who's no longer a head coach in the league who spent 20 minutes bitching to me about the Giants' protections. Mm-hmm. Like it just, And this is not a coach who's been out of the league for 50 years who doesn't understand the protections, right? So this is like somebody who really contemporary knows it. And, and it's like, it's so bad. Was it Rex Ryan? No, it was not Rex. <laughs> that was not Rex. It, 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 I don't get any information from Rex. <laughs> trust me on that. Anyway, so... Anyway, so... Uh, you know, it's like they're, they're so unsound. So in the game, they they make a play. The Raiders are bad. They make a play. They block a punt, right? Mm-hmm. And they get the ball right there on the seven-yard line. And you think, okay, here we go. We can turn it around. But Macadon't being Macadon't, right? You know, and his unsound protections that work that he learned in Green Bay. But they work in Green Bay because Aaron Rodgers— You have a sound quarterback. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers fixes everything, right? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. But you take those protections and put them on Broadway, that you're going to be shut down in a week, you're right? You're going to be on Front Street. Yeah, you're going to be out, right? So they got Khalil Mack on their right tackle, the backup right tackle, and they, they block him like— he, like on a blackboard, you got him, right? Well, no, no, that's Khalil fucking Mack over there, right? You can't block yeah, him. Can we put a running back over there to chip you him You can't block yes. him. Like there's like six players in the league that maybe could block him, right? Uh-huh. And that guy ain't one of them, mm-hmm. right? So, but of course, naturally, they put nobody over there, right? Mack don't. It looks good on a blackboard. And then he sacked, strip fumble, and they don't get it. He didn't points. just strip fumble. He just took, <laughs> he the, took ball. the ball. He took the ball from Gino. <laughs> he just took it. He took the ball. Like taking candy from a baby. Uh, it was tough. <laughs> Um, well, the Raiders, the Chiefs, and the Chargers are all six and six right now. So Chargers struggle to beat the Brownies too. Mm-hmm. I watched all that game. Well, Josh Gordon, welcome back. I oh, can't Josh believe he's Gordon's back in the league. And people are like, well, you know, you wanted to trade him, Lombardi. But yeah, I, that would have been a smart move for us to trade him because he's only been <laughs> out of football for four freaking years, right? Is he a talent? Yeah, he's a great talent. I mean, look, he's tremendous, right? I mean, but the guy had, you know, the guy had has some issues off the field. I hope he can stay clean. But, I mean, that that game, everybody said, well, you know, he's going to be a good play in fantasy. You know, they're going to have a lot of plays for him. And Kaiser's still the quarterback. Yeah, Kaiser missed him on two. He had two touchdowns <laughs> where he just completely beat the defense and Kaiser underthrew him by four or five yards. It's so bad. I mean, the Chargers were really lucky to win the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're driving down the field, right? They got a chance to tie it up, and, of course, they turn it over, and then they got a chance to come back. And, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to make of the Chargers. I, I, the Chargers moved the ball. I mean, you look at Rivers' numbers. They were unbelievable, right? But, that, you know, they didn't have enough. They just scored like 19 points. you think they would have scored more. It's going to be interesting this week. I think the Brownies and the Packers, you know, that, I, that's going to be – I don't know how the Packers really beat them. I really don't. I don't know. 
Who's the better running quarterback between those two? It's going to be Kaiser and Hunley just running for their lives. I, I don't know. I mean, Hunley's so bad. Like, I don't know how they're going to be. They beat both him. do the same thing. They just run, which I, I mean, mean, it was totally you fine. The, but... You watch the Buck game. And if what, yeah, I mean, that's a whole, I mean, how good is Jameis Winston? That should be a whole topic. We should write a novel. We should write a book on this. How good is he? Like, how good is Mariota and Winston? Uh, let me tell you this. When Jameis Winston was five yards down the field and he threw a touchdown pass and started celebrating like he scored a <laughs> touchdown and didn't think it was going to be an illegal forward pass, I, I just couldn't believe it. And, and then the announcers, too, they called it. They're like, what a great play by Jameis. Like, he is five yards down the field. You know, you know the one of the greatest inventions of all time for me, mm-hmm. I don't know about for you, I'm, a, I'm an old man, but for me, the greatest invention of all time is the mute button. <laughs> the greatest invention of all time is the mute button. Like, I heard an announcer say yesterday, the the Chargers were in three by one. the 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 Chargers were in three by one, mm-hmm. which is the the universal formation in football today. It's three receivers to a side with your best receiver away from it, or your best receiver in the slot and somebody else. Because you, the defense now has to declare. If you put your best receiver in the slot in a three by one, it's hard to double them in there, right? Mm-hmm. So it's hard to get a lot of. The, and if you put them away, it declares the coverage. So it's really easy for the quarterback. So most of the time, you'll see teams now. Everybody's in a three by one formation. So, which is like, if you're just paying attention to any football at all, like this is the, and if you understand why are people like, don't just look at the formation and say, you know, they're in this formation. Take it a step further. Ask the question, why Mm -hmm. are they doing this? There's a reason behind this formation and I'm explaining it to you. Okay. It's easy for the quarterback to read the coverage. You can isolate your best receiver. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. This guy, they say... And this is when I hit the mute button. They say, well, you know, the Chargers are in this. I think they're going to run a sprint out pass. No, they're not. I'm screaming to Millie. No, they're not going to run a sprint. Like, this is like completely. And of course, they throw a touchdown pass to Keenan Allen, who lined up in the slot and has a little move and they can't get a double on him because they got three receivers over there. It's like, like at some point you just say the mute button's your friend Mm -hmm. and you just hit it. Do you hit the mute button often? I try to. I, I don't have the nerve. Sometimes I like to listen, you know. I needed to yesterday when they said Deshaun Kaiser was the top three uh, r- rushing quarterback in the NFL. Might be statistically, but not actually. It's so bad. I mean, it's so bad. Anyway. All right. Final performance of week 13 that jumped out to you, Lombardi. Uh, in the words of Joe Staley, he said, we've got a quarterback, huh? I, I think the guy's great. Look, I know Lombardi, you're just a Patriot lover. You know, it's just like, look, I watch this guy practice. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've seen this guy. When I saw him on the field on, 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 on uh, Sunday, the guy's great. I'm just telling you, like, oh, don't overreact. No, the guy's really a good quarterback. The guy's going to be, he's better than Kirk Cousins, okay? Just get it through your head, San Francisco. He's better than Kirk Cousins. He can do everything you want. He's going to make every throw you want. He's got great leadership. He can t- handle the team. He had no skill around them, really. I mean, to be honest, I mean, look. They're I not know, trying to win games. I know they don't want to say that, but. They yeah. definitely have that. They definitely have that analytical movement within their building that they're trying to have a higher draft pick mm-hmm. and all, yada, yada, yada. But look, they got a quarterback. They got a quarterback. The guy's going to be a really good quarterback. He's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's going to be on Sunday night football. He's going to be dancing with Kerry Underwood. I mean, it, he's a really good player, okay? And there's no doubt about it. Like, you're not going to do better than Jimmy with Kirk Cousins and then have to pay Kirk Cousins. And if you do that, that's really being selfish and indulgent on your part because you just want a guy you know you know this guy. To me, I think the 49ers are sitting there now probably say, oh, wow, he played so good. Somebody will give us a top pick for him. Sure they will. But the question you have to ask yourself, if you're the 49ers, is he better than Kirk Cousins or is Kirk Cousins better than him? 
and you have so much subject, you have so much allegiance to Kirk that you're going to narrow your ability to make that accurate decision. I'm telling you, from an outsider looking in, it's not close. So if you're a GM, I mean, you're calling the 49ers and you're just asking, like, what's the value for Garoppolo? Because right. obviously, if they don't want him and you can see this talent, I mean, he just looks composed and ready to go. He's 25 years old. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's ready to go. He's composed. He banged it through the ball, hit the strikes. I mean, look, he did everything. If Andy Dalton played like that, like I said, well, you beat the Bears. I mean, the Bears are a decent team at home. I mean, they play decent. I mean, look, look, the you know the Carolina Panthers they beat the Panthers at home. Yeah, I mean, you know, so look, I'm not saying it's against great competition. Don't get me wrong, but he made every throw he had to make. He brought the team down the field when they needed a drive for him to make a drive. I thought he was great. He had great rhythm. His feet are tied to his his arm is tied to his feet, which is really important. And he was able to make all those throws. I thought he was great. I think they have a quarterback. I think everybody on that field. That's going to be the interesting thing now. The players know it, right? Mm -hmm. The players know it. I mean, C.J. Beathard knows it. Everybody knows it, right? And so now you're going to have to sell the fact that we're going to go out and pay Kirk Cousins $35 million a year when we already have a quarterback. To me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And you could see it in the postgame quotes. Carlos Hyde said he looked like a young Tom Brady to him. Obviously, I said what Staley said about him, about him having a quarterback. Once that's already out there and the players know that, if you pull a guy out from that situation, that's going to cause them more problems. I mean, look, they can just build. Now you can build around the team. I mean, really, mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that had to be the greatest flight home for Kyle Shanahan ever. Because now you you can close your eyes, take a nap on the plane going home, and know you we got a quarterback for the next 10 years. Like, there's nothing more comfortable. The worst feeling in, in, in football is driving to the stadium knowing you don't have a quarterback. You're driving to the game on Sunday afternoon, and you don't have a quarterback. And you're trying to figure out how you're going to win this game. When you have one, when, when I was in New England and you're driving to the stadium in the morning, you know you know you got Tom Brady. You know you're going to be – the game's never going to get away from you. You're going to have a chance to win no matter who you're playing, no matter how bad your team might be in some other areas. You're going to have a chance to win. When you don't have one, you're sitting there saying – Oh my God, I don't know if we can do this. Can this guy play good? To me, that's a great feeling. Yep. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to guess the narrative for the week. Hello! Woo! I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished gazing upon the Porzingat himself in his care of magical creatures class. It's Ringer staff writer, your maester, Jason Concepcion. And we are here on urgent business. Is it urgent? It's urgent to tell you about Binge Mode Weekly, our triumphant return to our true home, our true dragonstone, your earbuds. We are back! Yeah! On Binge Mode Weekly, Jason and I will be taking our trademark deep dive into the topics that are occupying our minds and hearts, the events of the moment. Love the scholarly expertise and accessibility of Binge Mode Game of Thrones? Then you'll love Binge Mode Weekly, where we'll touch on everything from our favorite books and movies to the shows that are obsessing us at a given moment to the sporting events captivating us from week to week. Binge Mode Weekly starts this Thursday and every Thursday thereafter on the same feed as Binge Mode Game of Thrones. Oh, Thursday. And give me that Hagrid-sized drum roll. Stay tuned for Binge Mode Harry Potter in spring 2018. Akio Binge Mode! Protect Hedwig! Jason, I have some very distressing news for you. All right, Lombardi, we're going to do uh, one of our favorite segments, Guess the Narratives. And uh, 
First up, I mean, it's pretty obvious what the narrative is going to be. Who is going to be the coach of the New York football Giants? You know, I, I think it's going to start who's going to be the GM first. Uh, you know, the Giants have always, like I said earlier in the podcast, they're a traditional organization. They always go GM is coaching. It's going to be interesting to see what John Mara's qu- answer to that question is going to be. I think, you know, this is not an appealing job from the standpoint. There's a lot of work to do here in New York. I mean, I know they have a good defense, but it's a really high-priced defense, and those cap numbers of those defensive players are going up. I mean, JPP, they're all going to start going up, so it's going to limit what you can do. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see which direction they go. they got to hire the right general manager who understands, look, the Giants system, as I said earlier, has been in place since 79. you got to know the Giants system, their grading system, how they evaluate. They're a size-speed team from big schools. I mean, there's a philosophy that's been inbred into the organization that goes back to G- George Young. That spread from when Belichick went to Cleveland. It came with him a little bit to Cleveland. And it's a little bit with them in New England, maybe not to the dramatic degree. Um, I think you'll see, you know, Scott Pioli. Could he be the general manager? You know, it's going to be one of those kind of names from people all over. That's what I was going to say. I mean, do you think it's going to be a more of a big name in the front office and then a sort of a under-the-radar head coach? No, it shouldn't be. It should be really – it should be the best coach they could fire, and they should marry it up. I mean, they should get a coach that's that's comfortable with the guy. Because, look, one thing with, what's proven in Seattle, it's been proven in New England. I mean, you got to work hand-in-hand hand with the coach, and the coach has to be – the focus point, you know, it can't be in the old days when the GM would always talk about that. That doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. I think we see it in Denver. I mean, I'm critical of John Elway. You know, nobody can be critical of John Elway because he went to the Super Bowl and he's a Hall of Fame player. But when you just evaluate his career, other than the Manning signing, which, you know, I mean, Millie could have signed Manning. <laughs> I mean, let's be real honest here. So, I mean, th- what have we done? I mean, I know they won a Super Bowl. They won a Super Bowl because they had a great defense in Manning. So I think you have to kind of like, Take yourself out of it and say the coach needs to be the focal point. And it's going to be interesting to see in this climate, in this era, who they hire as a head coach. Do they hire, do they go and hire Brian Kelly at Notre Dame? Do they go hire a college coach who knows how to build a program who could come in and learn the craft? It'll be fascinating to see what the Giants do because it's a it's a marquee job, but it's not a marquee situation. Could they even go somewhere like Jim Schwartz, who's just had a great year in the NFC East, and just give him that defense and say, We'll win that way, and we'll figure this thing out. It would be a smart move to do. I mean, it would be a smart move to do. I mean, Jim's going to get a – Jim should get one. I mean, Mm -hmm. he should get one because he knows – because if you want to model your team after a certain style, that would be – you know, he could. I mean, he's done a great job with their defense. He understands how to manage the game. He understands how to be a head coach. I think there's so much – people say, well, he's a retread. I think there's so much – to becoming a head coach, that it's a difficult job. There's some guys that just can't reach that level. Like, I don't think McAdoo's stint as the giant head coach is going to prove himself out to become another head coach. Like, I just don't think he's head coaching material, period, okay? Mm-hmm. And But there's some guys that have head coaching material in them that just had bad situations and they can't overcome it. And I think Schwartz did overcome it in, 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 in uh in Detroit, he took an 0-16 team. They made the playoffs. And then the front office ran him out of there. And now that front office isn't even there anymore. So it's got to be a mutual agreement between the coach and the, and the general, general manager. That's the only way this thing works in the NFL. Yep. Uh, another narrative that I have, Russell Wilson uh, as the MVP. I feel like a lot of people jumped on that train after his yeah, big last performance night. last night. Uh, he's averaging more yards than he has any time in his career. 271 yards a game. 26 touchdowns, only eight interceptions so far. He's had the big moments. I just think it's crazy that we've completely jumped off just because he knocked off the proverbial front runner Carson Wentz, now he becomes. It's like the old school, like college football before there was a BCS system. You know, if you beat the best team, then you are the best team. You right. know, it's like that with Russell Wilson. Well, it would be like Ohio State thinking they should be in the Final Four after they get killed by <laughs> Iowa. Like, yeah. I mean, come on, really, seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
I mean, Jackson's right. I mean, SC, I mean, SC belongs in there just as much as they do. They had two losses too, but I agree with you. I, I think, look, he's the MVP of Seattle's team. There's no doubt about it, right? I mean, without him, what would they do? But that's most great quarterbacks. Like, I think, you know, I think Carson Wentz took didn't take a step anywhere. I think last night proved that he's the MVP of the league because without those incredible plays on third down, where would the Eagles really be? And they've played a soft schedule. Let's not sugarcoat it here. I mean, what quarterbacks have they? They haven't played anybody. They haven't played a tough game because they've played a lot of bad teams, San Francisco, mm-hmm. Denver, Chicago. I mean, you can't control who you play, but if they're not any good, you got to at least acknowledge they're not great teams. I think Wentz is still the MVP. I think I think Russell Wilson is the MVP of his team by far. Without him, I don't know what they would do. But I don't know if it being in second place in the NFC West deserves you the most valuable player. Yeah, it's very strange how that completely flipped last night. Uh, last one, Gronkowski, right? That's going to be a big one That's going to be, you know, because you know, if the league doesn't suspend him for a game, it's going to be because there's collusion with the Patriots. They will never take anything up on the Patriots. Look, I think that's pretty clear. I mean, the Patriots don't even think what he did was right. Mm-hmm. right end of story. Like, yeah, as soon just, as Belichick came out and said it was BS, yeah, he pretty like much it, knew where they And he stood. wasn't saying it because he felt like he was just trying to get, no. I mean, he truly means it. Like, that's just not how the Patriots should play football. Well, we were just saying, like, a, a smart player in that situation, if you get held by a guy, you find within the context of a game how to let him know how you feel about right. that. You don't do it that blatantly, and obviously it's a cheap shot anyway after a play. No doubt. Uh, let's go to some awards, uh, yeah. one of our favorite parts of the week. Uh, first up, we have the Fred Palermo Award. Uncle Fred. And that's going to go to the Minnesota Vikings, correct? Yeah, I think, look, what was Atlanta, one for 10 on third down? Mm-hmm. I mean, just Mike Zimmer just, just understands how to make teams play left-handed. And I know it sounds really easy, right? And and this chapter of the book that I've written, just written about defense is – you have to understand how to make a team play left-handed. Not that you take away what they do. You take away what their options are once you take away what they do. Mm-hmm. right? You take away A and take away B, and now all of a sudden they really don't know how to play. And I think it's really smart how he does it. I think Mike Zimmer's an outstanding coach. A lot of people in the league said he could never be a head coach. He was just a defense coordinator. Look, the guy's a tough guy. He knows what he wants on defense. He understands that the players like him. Yeah, to me... He paid his dues to be a head coach. I'm happy for Mike Zimmer. I love Mike Zimmer. I think Pat Shermer's done a great job for him on offense. I think Pat Shermer deserves to have another chance to be a head coach because I think Pat Shermer has learned from Mike Zimmer how to be a head coach. I think it'll benefit. But I do like their whole game plan. Five incompletions in a game? I mean, come on. That's pretty good for Case Keenum. Yeah. And you look at just Matt Ryan and the fact that Matt Ryan couldn't throw on that Vikings defense. I mean, that Vikings defense is legitimately the best defense in football, I would say. Yeah, no, because you know, it's, it, you're going to, because here's what happens people will judge it for, well, they give up a play here, give up a play there. Look, you get, it's a 60 minute fight when you play them. And you're mm-hmm. going to have to be really good for, you get the ball 12 possessions, you have to be really good for 12 possessions. And they have stars at every level. You have Griffin, you have Barr, you have Rhodes. Right. Every single level of their defense, there's a superstar. Right. And if you're not good on all 12, there's always going to be a possession where you screw it up. Like, if they play Philly, if they were to play Philly, Philly's going to have to be really good on all those possessions, and they're going to have to be able to block Griffin on every single play. They're good. Uh, next up, we have the KGB award. That's going to go to the Detroit Lions, who Man, got I, Flacco, DB Flacco. You know, I mean, of all, I, and I thought on Saturday sit down, I thought Detroit would have a good opportunity here. I mean, like, look, I said they were going to make the playoffs. I have to walk that back now. You got to. We're both walking it back. I mean, that was just really embarrassing. The performance, they're sloppy. They have no attention to detail. Their defense was horrendous. I mean, when you make DB Flacco look like he's really good and he's doing the W thing at the press conference mm-hmm. afterwards, like that's salt in the wounds. I mean, Detroit's. I never have bought. There's two teams that I've never bought into. 
all year. It's been Tennessee and Detroit. I think Tennessee's terrible. Yeah, if you don't know, now you know. The Tennessee Titans are terrible. I think they're terrible. I think they're. I don't care what their record is. I think they're bad. I think they're the. I think they run a high school offense. I think it's a joke. They're play calling. I hate teams that have this mentality. Let's just get back in third and manageable. Third and manageable is the worst place to be in football. I hate it. It's the worst, <laughs> right? It, the object is to get first downs. Mm-hmm. The object is to stay out of third down. The object is not to be in third and manageable. You know, so when you hand the ball off for a one-yard gain, you're in third and manageable. Josh McCowan did an incredible job yesterday. Should get player of the week because the 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 Jets purposely were trying to control the clock, so they were running the ball more than perhaps they would if their defense was playing better. But they so they were in a lot of third and sevens, and McCowan was able to make plays in those plays. I mean, mm-hmm. Robbie Anderson was great. I mean, Jermaine Kirsch made a great catch. So I get what they were doing. But if you're the Tennessee Titans and you have this marquee quarterback in Marcus Mariota and you can't take a giant step and you're struggling to beat Tom Savage – and Billy O'Brien should get coach of the year. for He has so many injuries, it's like unbelievable. I don't even know who he's putting out there. And they're right there with him at home. Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't know. And Detroit's the same way. Like, Detroit's not a good team. Like, I don't care. You can give Matthew Stafford all this money you want. They're not a good team. Well, somehow the Titans are 8-4 and four and they're at the top of the AFC South. Yeah, and somehow they'll be one and done. Yep. <laughs> and somehow they'll be one and done. All right, Lombardi, before we get out of here, one quick thing. we got Monday Night Football, Steelers, Bengals. Anything to watch tonight? Now, you know, these rivalry games are fun to see. I you know, look, I, the Steelers have uh, they have Baltimore next week, and then they got New England. So this is a tough stretch. I mean, this is going to be a lot of this is going to be a lot of bumps and bruises here, mm-hmm. and this is going to take a pounding on them. I, I think you want to play left hand against Pittsburgh. I'm convinced of this. I think you got to make sure you stop Le'Veon Bell from running the football on you, and take your chances with Ben beating you with his arm. Mm-hmm. I think you want Ben to throw it more than forty times. If Ben can throw it more than forty times, and he can beat you throwing it more than forty times without interceptions and turnovers, then better off to him. So I think that's how you have to play the game. Can I think Cincinnati can do it? I don't know. I never buy into to, to Andy Dalton. I'm not going to buy into any of the things with Cincinnati does on offense. I think Pittsburgh wins the game, but I think if Cincinnati plays a certain way, they can win. Absolutely, uh, and also. Heisman finalists will be announced tonight, so tune in for that. Um, Did you watch the ESPN show the other night, the, the, the selection show? Yeah, it was it was so annoying, right? Yeah, it was so annoying. Like that, we waited we waited all this time to get the thing, and then finally, when it comes in, we have to do the, the like you that felt like Steve Harvey was doing the uh, what's that uh, that show he does Family, Family Feud, Feud and, yeah, and they roll, it out, roll yeah. it out, but it was like twenty rolling it out, rolling it out. Like, come on, man, just give me who the fourth team was. That's all <laughs> we wanted to know. We know who the three were. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think this. I think if Clemson Clemson plays Alabama, I think that's going to be such a war that the the winner of that game might actually end up being the loser. Yeah, if they get to play an Oklahoma or Georgia team that didn't have to go through that. Yeah, that's pretty much the national championship game for most people. Right. Um, this has been a great edition of DM Street. Sorry, it was on Monday this week. Uh, we'll be back next week on Sunday night and uh, back to the usual routine. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Dave Fraser.